Good morning. Um, before we start the kids' sermon, we're uh, going to have our time of uh, assurance and supplication. And so for uh, the assurance part, I wanted to read you guys a section from, uh, from Paul Tripp's Advent devotional that I read this morning. It was really encouraging to me, and it's also going to be up on the slides, I think. Um, so he says, The story of the Bible wasn't written as a reaction, but as God's intention before the foundations of the world were set in place. God knew Adam and Eve would step outside his wise and loving boundaries and knew what his response would be. You can see the seeds of that response in Genesis 3. What the Old Testament gives us is the history of God marching his world toward the moment when the conditions were just right for the coming of Jesus. God calls Abraham and makes an eternal covenant with him. Out of Abraham, God grows a nation, and out of the nation, God sends the promised Messiah, Jesus. God promises to David a kingdom that will never end, and then Jesus as the final king. Even though his people are rebellious and disloyal, God will not forsake his grand redemptive plan. With sovereignty, with sovereign authority and the unstoppable zeal of his grace, he harnesses the natural forces of the world he created and carefully controls the events of human history to march the world toward the moment when Jesus would be born, son of David, son of man, son of God. But Jesus' life was a march too. The destination of that march was written into the plot of God's redemptive story. Jesus knew where the march would take him, and he never debated, he never resisted, he never rebelled, and he never ever questioned the plan. Every day of his 33 years of life, he purposefully and willingly marched toward the cross of his death. He lived, loved, and taught with the pain of the horrible injustice in view. He marched with joy to his cross of shame, injustice, torture, and worst of all, separation from his father because he knew what the results would be. He knew he was born to be the lamb of sacrifice. He knew there were whips, nails, thorns, and swords in his future, all to be used as instruments of his suffering and death. Who would knowingly and willingly take such a march? What innocent man would be willing to suffer in this way? Who in the world would be willing to do this for his enemies? Who would have such character? Who would be filled with such love? Who would be motivated by such grace? There is only one answer. Jesus. He is the one who occupies center stage in the grand redemptive drama. The march of redemption requires his march to his death, and he was willing. Why was he willing? He was willing because he knew that his march to death was the only way to march life and hope into our lives. He knew that his painful, tortuous disgrace was the only way for redeeming grace to march with saving power into our lives. He knew the rescuing, restoring, and delivering power of that grace. He knew his march would result in a company of people, more than any human could number, who would give their lives to him and would in eternity bow in a chorus of worship of him forever. God has orchestrated history to bring Jesus into the world to save us and save it. And because of that, we can have assurance, right? It wasn't just some random thing that God decided to do. He had been planning it from the very beginning. And we can have hope, his word tells us, that he who began a good work in us will carry it to completion. And right, and it's not just that I have assurance or you have assurance. We have assurance together. 
And so for our prayer of supplication this morning, I want to pray uh, for some other churches, right? Because it's, it's easy for us to just get caught up in what we're doing as a body or what we're doing as individuals. But when we kind of cast the net wider and remember that there are other Christians in our city, in our community, in our state who are worshiping the same Jesus that we are, it can encourage us and give us more assurance. And so I want to pray for two churches specifically this morning. The first one is uh, First Baptist Palmyra, where Paul Reese is pastor, and the second one is uh, First Baptist Church of Ewing, where uh, Richard Ulrich is pastor. I've met with both of these guys recently. Richard actually started pastoring this year, um, which is crazy uh, because of everything that happened this year. And so uh, please join me as we pray for these two churches together this morning. Father, we thank you that you had and have a grand redemptive plan that has been unfolding ever since the foundation of the world and that that we are in that story right now waiting for you to carry it to its completion. We thank you that you remind us in your word that, that we can have confidence that since you have began a good work in us, that you have saved us, that you will continue that work to its completion. How we thank you that you uh, have united us together. You don't leave us alone in our faith, but you've given us a body of believers, both here at BC and with Christians all around the world. And so today we want to we pray specifically for, for two other churches, for First Baptist Church of Palmyra and for First Baptist Church of Ewing, um, that, that even now as they're gathered together to worship you as we are, um, that you would send your spirit to meet with them. Uh, that, that your good news would be preached, that people would hear, that you would open eyes and open hearts and open minds, um, and that you would use your spirit to convict and encourage and to stir their affections for you. We pray that you would help those two churches to worship you rightly this morning, um, and that their worship would spill outward into their community as they go forth proclaiming the good news of who you are and what you've done for them. Jesus, we thank you that While you were still on the earth, you prayed that uh, believers would have unity together. And so we pray that we would see that in our church and and we would see that more and more with other believers in this community. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that you are the one who was willing and able to come and save us and redeem us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today... We're going to be in, in Lamentations 3, uh, but before we, we go there, kids, can you guys raise your hands up for me this morning? All right, so who likes to eat food? I mean, it should be everybody, right? Food's a good thing. Who likes to eat dinner? Okay, how many of you like to wait for dinner when you're hungry? Okay, so when you're there, when, you, when you're hungry, let's say you're hungry, you're sitting at the table, you're waiting for dinner, what, what happens? Does, like, does dinner eventually show up? Yes? Now, what happens if maybe like you're impatient and you complain? Does dinner still come? Or do your parents not feed you if you complain? Right, it still comes. You still, you still get to eat. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because I think it's important for us to learn that when we wait for something, like when we're waiting for dinner, the waiting doesn't earn us the thing, 
right? It's not that like if you wait for it, then your parents will give it to you. But if you don't wait for dinner, they won't give it to you. They're going to give you dinner anyway, right? Because you're their kid and they love you and you're part of the family. And because you're in the family, you get to eat with them. Um, In the same way, we've been talking about waiting on God for the last few weeks. And we're going to talk more about waiting on God today. And one of the things we're going to talk about today is that the waiting doesn't, doesn't earn that thing from God. It doesn't earn God's favor. It doesn't earn his pleasure. Right? We wait for God because of who he is. We, we get to be in his presence because we wait for him. And that's when we benefit from the good things. But it doesn't earn the good things by us waiting for them. And so kids, go home and talk to your parents about that. Talk to them about what it means to wait on God and how when we wait on him, we get to experience who he is um, and have them talk to you more about that today. Um, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, Lamentations is kind of a tricky book to find because it's a small book that's in the middle, um, but it's in between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So if you find one of those bigger books, if you hit Jeremiah, go to the right, you'll find Lamentations. If you hit Ezekiel, go to the left, you'll find Lamentations. We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 26 of chapter 3. But before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of the context of what we're reading. The book is called Lamentations because it's a collection of, of poems. There's five poems, five laments uh, that were written that are gathered into this book. Um, and so it's called Lamentations because it's a book of lamentations. Um, most people think it was written by Jeremiah, uh, likely after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And the reason why that's important is because it helps us understand the kind of things that Jeremiah is lamenting in the book of Lamentations, right? He has seen his city, his people destroyed and conquered by the enemy. He's seen devastation and destruction and pain and sorrow and uh, just everyone wiped out and taken away from the city. And so he's, he's witnessed all these things and he's externally processing them. He's, he's grieving, he's lamenting these things in poem and writing them down. And that's where this book comes in. That's what is, he's expressing uh, in Lamentations. So we're going to read verses 1 through 26 of chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath, He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand, again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you that that you saw fit uh, for Jeremiah to write these words down so that we could be encouraged by them when, when we're suffering, when our soul is bereft within us, when we feel like we have lost hope and have no reason to find it. We thank you that these words are in your word so that we could be encouraged by them by your spirit. Father, we pray today that you would help us to understand your word together that we would find encouragement um, and exhortation in the words of Jeremiah this morning, that you would cause us to have hope, that you would cause us to be people who wait for you, that we would be reminded of who you are and all the reasons we have to put our hope in you. We pray that you would send your spirit to, to encourage us and challenge us and to stir our affections this morning as we uh, sit under your word together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, in this passage, right, Jeremiah is, is clearly suffering. He's lamenting. He's kind of recapping everything that's been going on in the first part of chapter 3. And then in, in verse 13, 17, he, he says, His soul is bereft of peace. He's forgotten what happiness is. Um, he's a place where, where his endurance is gone. He says it's perished. So is his hope from the Lord. He's, he's at rock bottom here. He's in the depths of despair. He's despondent. He doesn't know what to do. He has no hope. But then there's this shift that happens in chapter 3 in between verse 20 and verse 21. And in verse 20, he says his soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within him. What he's talking about is, is the affliction. He's, he's just kind of replaying in his mind again and again all the stuff that he's seen, all the stuff that he's experienced, all the suffering and devastation and destruction that's gone on. It's just kind of replaying on a loop in his mind. He can't get it out of his head. So he's stuck. But then in verse 21, which starts with the word but something different happens. Something changes. He starts to move forward. He starts to kind of end that endless feedback loop and do something different. He says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Even though he doesn't feel like it, even though he wants to stay down in the dirt, he does something else. He decides, he, he determines, he chooses to think about something else to stop that endless cycle of despair. So he calls these three truths to mind in verses 22 and 23. The three truths are, number one, the steadfast Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The second one is that his mercies never end. They are new every morning. And the third one is that his faithfulness is great. So the first one, he says, uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Here, what Jeremiah is doing, he's, he's focusing on a specific aspect of God's love, a specific kind of love that God has, the steadfast love of the Lord. He's talking about God's covenantal love for his people. He loves them because he has made this covenant with them. He's entered into this relationship with them. And because he's entered into that relationship with them, he's going to continually, steadfastly, forever love them because 
because they are his people and he is their God. Even though they've broken their end of the covenant. That's why they're in the situation they're in. Even though they've broken their end of the covenant, God is going to uphold his end. He's going to keep loving them with a never stopping, never giving up love because that is who he is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And for us, the good news of the gospel is that we have an even greater claim to the steadfast love of the Lord than Jeremiah did, right? Because the New Testament says that for those who have trusted in Christ and in Christ alone for salvation, we are, we are in Christ, right? We have union with him. Uh, we, we share in, we participate in, we partake of the love that God has for the Son because we are in Jesus, And so because we are Christians, because we are in Jesus, we can confidently and boldly proclaim that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases because God loves us because we are in Jesus. And since Jesus cannot fail, since Jesus will not fail, the steadfast love of the Lord for us in Christ won't fail, won't end, can't end. And so we can boldly with Jeremiah say that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Jeremiah also says that his mercies never come to an end. They are are new every morning. So Jeremiah here remembers that there's no end to the mercy of God that he has for his people. And not just that there's no end to it. Not that his mercies just keep happening, but also that they are new every morning. God continues to show us his mercy in new and unique ways so that we might experience it again and again and again. The book of Hebrews reminds us that for Christians, for those who have trusted in Christ, we have Jesus as our great high priest. And because he's our great high priest, we can with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we might receive mercy in the time of need. So with Jeremiah, we can say that his mercies never come to an end. We can say that they are new every morning because we know that in Jesus, we can draw near God's throne to receive that mercy. We have access to it because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The third thing Jeremiah clings to is that God's faithfulness is great. Right? He's remembering that God is, is faithful and reliable always without fail. That is who he is. He is greatly faithful. In fact, that's the reason why they're in this situation. God told the people that if they didn't repent, judgment would fall. The reason why Jerusalem was destroyed is because God kept his word to his people. He was faithful to that promise to destroy the city if they didn't repent. For us, Advent should be a massive reminder of the faithfulness of God. Right In that, that reading from Paul Tripp's devotional, he's emphasizing all the things that God has done to send his son into the world. From the earliest pages of scripture, God was promising that he would send a redeemer. He would send his son to save the world, to save his creation, to redeem his creation, to overturn the curse of the fall. And in Christmas, we get a reminder that that has happened. God is faithful. He has kept those promises. Even as we're waiting for the final installment to be made, we can cling to those promises knowing that all of them find their yes in Jesus. God God is greatly faithful, and we see that in Jesus. We're reminded of that at Christmas. And because we can look to the past and see all the ways he's been faithful to us in the past, we can look towards the future and be confident that he will continue to be greatly faithful because that is who he is, and he does not waver or change. In verse 24, Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The word portion here describes something that belongs to somebody else. He's saying that the Lord is, is all that he has. 
He's his only hope. He, he clings to him because that's all he has in the situation that he's in. And really, God is all we have in any situation that we're in. He is the only hope that we have, no matter what our outward circumstances look like. Then in verses 25 and 26, he kind of turns outwardly to, to speak truth to other people. He says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Here is another call in God's word to his people to be those who wait upon the Lord. God wants us, God desires that we would be people who wait for him, who seek his presence, who seek his face. And I want to make sure that we don't misunderstand this. Right? He is, he's not saying that the Lord is good to those who wait for them because they wait for him. Right? He's not saying that somehow our, our waiting earns or merits God's goodness. God is good. Period. Right? Whether we wait for him or not, that is who he is. He is good. But Jeremiah reminds us that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Those who wait for him, those who who spend time in his presence, are those that experience the goodness of the Lord. He is good, and when we wait for him, when we spend time in his presence, when we seek his face, we get to experience and benefit from that goodness. So it's not that the waiting earns that goodness. The goodness is already there. The waiting puts us in a place to see it and experience it. He is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. He says it's good for those to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Again, the waiting doesn't earn the salvation. The waiting puts us in a place where we can experience it and see it uh, and, and be in his presence, to be in the presence of the one who is always faithful, who is always good, whose mercies never end, whose steadfast love never ceases. This is a God whose presence we should want to be in. We should want to experience because of who he is. Not so that we can earn his favor, not so we can put ourselves in a place to to be pleasing to him, but because he is pleased with us because we're in Jesus. We want to be in his presence because of who he is. It is good for us to be in the presence of the Lord because he is our portion, he is our hope, and he is our good and faithful God. So this Advent... It's my hope that, that I would be a person and that we would be a people who wait for the Lord, who spend time with this God whose love for us never ceases in Jesus, whose mercies never come to an end but are new every morning, who is greatly and always faithful to us, who we can look for ways in his word where he has demonstrated all of these things to us in the past and we can look toward the uncertain future and have confidence that he's going to continue to be this way to us in the future. So as we continue to worship in our service today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, um, I would encourage you to be spending time thinking about these things, uh, to repent and confess the ways in which you don't wait upon the Lord, the ways in which you ignore this God who is how Jeremiah describes him. Uh, and, and confess those things to the Lord and repent of them and uh, commit to being someone who seeks out this God who wants to shower us with love and mercy and faithfulness. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a God whose steadfast love never ceases. And that you have made a way 
for us to be united with your Son so that we can have complete confidence that you love us with a uh, never-stopping, never-giving-up kind of love. We thank you that your mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning. We thank you that because Jesus is our great high priest, we can confidently come before you to receive the very mercy that you promised to give us in your word. We thank you that you are always, always, always faithful. Even when we're not. And that you uphold and keep and deliver on your promises to us, even though we fall short so very often. God, we pray that you would send your spirit to to fix the brokenness in our hearts that that causes us to to overlook or, or be distracted or disregard the wonderful privilege we have to be people that can be in your presence. And that by your spirit, you would draw us to be those who wait upon you, who seek your face continually. And that we would do it not so that we can earn something, but that we would do it because you are good to those who wait for you. Because you promised to deliver us. Because of who you are, that we would be people that want to be in your presence. We pray now that you would continue to meet with us as we continue to worship you throughout the rest of our service this morning and throughout the rest of the day today. So in your name we pray. Amen.